people will sometimes ask, why, you know, if there's a good God, why isn't he doing anything about evil? He already has. He's giving people an opportunity to repent. So don't lose that opportunity. Well, welcome to the second Sunday of Advent, the season of Christmas where we focus on the Sundays leading up to Christmas on various aspects of the Incarnation. That's a fancy word. Maybe you didn't use that in a conversation this week. But the Incarnation simply means that God has come in human flesh. He has inhabited this world as a man. 100% God, 100% man. That's a real mystery. Uh, it's something that we really can't quite explain the technicalities of it because we don't have anything to compare it to. But it's something that's clearly taught in the Scriptures, and we're going to see that as we take a look at Matthew chapter 1 this morning. At the very beginning of this, our minds are taken back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, and Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. In Genesis, God, in pronouncing judgment against the serpent, or Satan, says that the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. And in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, God reveals, amazingly enough, through his prophet Isaiah, to an ungodly king who was not following the Lord, that a virgin would conceive and bear a son, and his name would be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. So isn't it interesting that some of those key passages of Scripture, we find God proclaiming His plan and His purpose to those who were opposed to Him. It's almost as if God is sort of throwing down the gauntlet and saying, take your best shot, but you're not going to win. Aren't you glad for that? I mean, isn't it wonderful to know that God is the one who is in charge of the universe and even all of those wicked and evil people and movements and all of that that we've had to endure through the ages are not strong enough and never will be strong enough, nor will they ever be successful in dethroning God. God is greater than all of the combined efforts of evil to get rid of him. That gives us hope. That gives us confidence. That gives us joy. Because as believers in Jesus Christ, Scripture says in Romans that we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. So we experience and enjoy and benefit from that victory which Jesus won as He came to this earth, took on human form, submitted Himself completely to the will of the Father, taught us about God, died on the cross for our sin in our place, rose from the dead, which guarantees our justification and our resurrection. We can be declared not guilty. We can be declared a child of God through our faith in what Jesus Christ has done 
on our behalf. In Matthew chapter 1, we pick up the story of the entrance of Jesus into this world. Chapter 1, verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. Now, I want to pause here for just a minute and make sure that we understand that Christ is not the last name of Jesus. It is a title. If he would have had a last name, it might have been Ben-Joseph or Josephson because everybody just kind of assumed that Joseph was the father of Jesus. Although there was, and we'll talk about it later on, some attempts to try to, to change that and to cast aspersions upon Jesus' lineage, but that didn't work either. But here, the title Christ means Messiah. It's the same word in Greek as <clears throat> excuse me, the Old Testament word Mashiach. The Mashiach was one who was God's anointed deliverer. And so there were a couple times in the Old Testament where the title Mashiach was applied to someone. King David was called a Messiah. He delivered the people from the Philistine oppressions. Amazingly enough, a pagan monarch, King Cyrus, was called God's Messiah, God's anointed because he was the one who delivered the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, from their captivity in Babylon. And so the word Mashiach means a God-appointed deliverer. But we see also throughout the Old Testament, and especially in the New Testament, that that term Messiah or Christ takes on a very specific role in pointing out the one whom God would send to save his people from their sins. The one who would be the son of David and yet greater than David. Who would rule on the throne of Israel in the place of David. That one being the Messiah, Jesus the Christ. The Messiah, the anointed deliverer. And he would not just rule on a throne. He would submit himself to death on the cross in the place of lost humanity. And he would redeem, he would save lost mankind through his death and resurrection. All of that is wrapped up in that concept of a God-appointed, a God-anointed deliverer. So, the book of the genealogy of Jesus, God's appointed deliverer, the Messiah, the Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Matthew, in writing his gospel, is writing especially to those who are Jewish. And those two people, King David and Father Abraham, were the two pivotal characters in the story of the Jewish nation. Abraham was the one whom God called out of Mesopotamia, the city of Ur, and he promised that he would make him and his descendants a great blessing to the nations, to the whole world. And it was King David who was the sort of prototype, if you will, 
of that greater king yet to come who would be both his descendant and his God. You can read about that in Psalm 110. That great prototype of the king who would reign in absolute righteousness and not just over Israel, but over the entire world. So when Matthew starts out, he says, this is about Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Every Jewish person who read this would be intensely interested in what was going to be said. Because Matthew is connecting all of these things, which was in fact the embodiment of the hope of Israel. To have the king ruling and reigning. To be the nation that God intended them to be. Verse 18 starts out this way. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. You know, I mentioned that if he'd have had a last name, it would have probably been, you know, Ben Joseph or Josephson or something like that. There was circulated by the Jewish leaders that story that, um, well, his birth was illegitimate. And, and we're going to talk later on about uh, that a little bit uh, in reference to Luke's gospel and, and Mary's perspective on this. I mean, we know the story, right? That the angel appears to Mary and says, you're going to have a son and so forth. And she says, how's this going to be? Because I, I don't know a man. I'm, I'm a virgin, you know. She, she knew how babies came. And she said, that's not possible. And the angel Gabriel says, oh, something unique's going to happen here. The power of God will overshadow you. And that thing which is born of you will be the Son of God, the Holy One. Amazing. But I mean, how many people would buy that story? Pretty fantastic, isn't it? I mean, put yourself in Mary's shoes. Put yourself in Joseph's shoes. So here, God is setting the record straight. Now this would have happened after Mary had gone to Elizabeth, her cousin, her relative, and found out that Elizabeth was already expecting a son in her old age. She was long past the years of childbearing. And now she and Zacharias were going to be blessed with a son. Luke's Gospel says in the sixth month, the angel appeared to Mary. The sixth month of what? Was that the month of June? No. It was the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. And the angel comes and says, guess what, Mary? You're going to have a son. And Mary goes down to see Elizabeth, stays with her for a while, and she comes back, and, well, you know what happens. You begin to show that you're going to be having a baby. And she comes into town after being away, and Joseph greets her and sees her. And what's going on in his mind? He's thinking, this, this woman I've been betrothed to has maybe been unfaithful to me. 
That's the only conclusion that he could come to from a human perspective. So God intervenes. And God says through the angel, verse 18, she was found to be with child of the Holy Spirit. Then verse 19, Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. God is setting the record straight. God is going to inform Joseph of what he would never have had knowledge of in any other way. It would have never satisfied... Joseph is, is described here as, what? A just man. And not wanting to make her a public example. The word just there does not mean that he was a perfect man, but it does mean that he was a man of integrity. He was a man whose claim, whose words matched up with his living. He was a man who knew the Word of God, who participated in, in the sacrifices required of every Jewish man. He was, he was a man who kept the law of God to the very best of his ability. He was a man of integrity, honesty, sincerity of good reputation. He was the kind of guy that you would want for an employer or for an employee. He was doing the right thing. And he was also a man of compassion, of mercy. The right, and that created a problem for him, didn't it? The right thing according to Jewish law, was that Mary, who was pregnant now, and was engaged, and Joseph was not the father, should be stoned. Fornication was a capital offense in ancient Israel. Very, very rarely was that ever carried out. But that was what the law required. Adultery was the same thing. It was a capital offense. Very, very rarely was it ever carried out, but isn't it interesting that on one occasion, the Jewish leaders brought a woman who was caught in adultery to Jesus. What did they say? Moses says in the law to stone her. What do you say? Joseph's compassion was struggling with his justness, with his righteousness. You ever find yourself in that situation? I have many times. Seeing what the Word of God says and knowing how to apply it wisely with justice and with mercy. God got the problem resolved. All he needed to do in this situation was simply to tell Joseph the backstory, the part that Joseph could not have understood apart from God revealing it to him. And that's where God sends the angel Gabriel to him. Well, I think it was Gabriel. Gabriel brings good news to, John, uh, to uh, Zacharias, 
and Elizabeth, and, and he brings the good news to Mary. Now, he's not mentioned here specifically, but boy, this must have been good news to Joseph. <laughs> I think, I just my opinion, you can take it for what it's worth. I think it probably was Gabriel, but it could have been any angel because the word angel simply means messenger. God sent this messenger to Joseph and said, Joseph, don't be afraid to take her as your wife. Mary was not unfaithful. God was doing something that was going to be astounding. Look at what he says here in uh, verse 20. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. God is miraculously at work in this, Joseph. Don't be afraid. You've never seen anything like this before, Joseph. This has never, ever occurred since the world was created. And it will never occur again. But don't be afraid to take her, Joseph. I wonder if Joseph remembered Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. I wonder if Isaiah 7.14 popped into Joseph's mind as he was listening to the angel that says, a virgin shall conceive and shall bring forth a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Because later on, that's what the angel says. Look with me there at verse 23. All the, or verse 22, all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying, and there's our verse in Isaiah 7, 14. His name shall be called Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Now that's Matthew filling in the backstory. I wonder if that popped into Joseph's head. I'd like to think it did because he was a just man. He was a godly man. He knew some scripture. He, this, was, this was something that Joseph would have been aware of. And how that must have quieted and settled his heart. We're not surprised then that Joseph got up and did what the angel said. God had spoken to him. God had prepared all this all along. You know, I mentioned earlier that there, there were rumors, there were rumors that Jesus' conception was illegitimate, that it was wrong, that, that he was merely a man, and so forth. But the Bible clearly, and on multiple occasions, makes it very clear that Jesus is a human being and, at the same time, the very Son of God. We're already looking at it here in Matthew, but let me just remind you of Mark chapter 1, verse 1. We looked at that when we, we began our series in Mark back in October sometime. Very simple. Mark says... The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of David, 
or excuse me, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He cuts right to the chase. Mark says, I'm writing, the, the, this is the beginning of the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God. That's real clear. Luke is just as clear. Chapter 1, verse 35, the angel answered and said to her, speaking to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Pretty clear. Jesus is God. John chapter 1 and verse, uh, verse 1 and verse 14, which we're, we're working on to memorize. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And now if you're not quite sure who the Word is, go down to verse 14. The Word became flesh. Who is that? Jesus. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten Son, full of grace and truth. You see, that which was a conflict in the heart of Joseph was not a conflict in the heart of God. How truth, righteousness, justice can be firmly upheld and grace can be applied. How do we do that? We see it in the cross. We see it in the person of Jesus Christ. The one who left heaven, who came to this earth, became a man, lived an absolutely perfect life as a human being, a life which the book of Hebrews says is without sin, though he was tempted in all points as we are, but he was without sin. A life that was freely offered on the cross, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, John the Baptist said as he identified Jesus. What an amazing, amazing combination. The justice of God is satisfied. Sin is paid for, paid in full, Jesus said on the cross as he drew his final breaths. He says that, that one word in Greek which carries so much to telestai, it means paid in full. Paid in full. Jesus paid the debt of our sin completely and the justice and the righteousness and the holiness of God was perfectly satisfied by the offering of that perfect sinless life Jesus we are in Christ you remember in Romans we talked about being in Adam or in Christ in Adam all die in Christ all are made alive in Adam, in rebellion, that person who is in Adam spends eternity in hell, in the lake of fire. But in Christ, in that company, that family of God, those who've responded to the invitation of God and the conviction of the Holy Spirit, they're forgiven. They're cleansed. They're part of redeemed humanity because they are in Christ and will enjoy eternity with Him forever. That's kind of a redundant statement, isn't it? 
eternity for eternity, <laughs> forever, forever. It's hard to get our minds wrapped around those things, isn't it? But that's who we're talking about. And God is able to resolve that what seems to you and me to be an unsolvable dilemma of how an unrighteous, wicked, godless, opposing person can be made right in the sight of Almighty God. And it's in Jesus. And every single Gospel bears record of the fact that Jesus is both God and man. That because of that union between God and man, He is able to do what you and I could never have done. Ever. Even if from this moment till the day you draw your final breath you could live an absolutely perfect life, what would you do about your past? Because it just doesn't go away. It just doesn't disappear. No, that perfect life has to be from conception on. Well, that lets all of us out, doesn't it? <laughs> but not Jesus. Not Jesus. And God affirms that to Matthew, or excuse me, to Joseph. He says, don't be afraid to take Mary your wife because that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. And that which is born is holy because He's both God and man. Verse 20, while he thought about these things, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. The angel knew what Joseph needed. The angel understood the struggle that Joseph was having. In fact, it wasn't just the angel, it was God, because the angel was God's messenger. And the angel came and ministered to Joseph as Joseph needed. Do you realize, beloved, that this book is God's message to you? And when you open this book, when you read about what God has done through Christ, both in the Old Testament as He prepared this world for the coming of the Messiah, and at His coming, and how to live life today, and how to be prepared for the future, do you realize that this is God's communication to you for your life right now? God knows what you need. You and I live in a world that has seemingly gone off the rails, right? I mean, it, it is just absolutely crazy. Maybe not so bad around here in Franklin County, but go to other parts of the world and you can see it very, very clearly. This world, humanity, is on a self-destruct course and we are absolutely unable to stop that train. It is going to happen unless God intervenes. Unless God intervenes. And He has. And you and I are here at this time in history, at this place, in this moment, 
and we as believers are equipped with everything we need for life and godliness because we have God's message for us. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that it's always easy and simple to understand or that it's easy and simple to put it into practice. I don't know about you, but every once in a while I read something here I don't like and so I don't want to do it. Maybe you've been in that boat too. But it's here. Everything we need. Why? Because God loves us. Because God wants us to know how to live. Because God wants us to be able to honor Him. Because God wants us to shine as bright lights in a dark world. So that others who may not pick up this book will see that light reflected in us. And maybe their interest will be piqued. And we can eventually take them to this book and show them in its pages the love of God and the provision of God for salvation. And we can show them in its pages the cost, the eternal cost of rejecting God's communication to us. Verse 22 is interesting. It says this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. God is working according to His plan. God's got this thing under control. He's got it figured out. Not because it seemed like it was out of control. No. God had all of this in mind before the world was ever formed. That's why God could announce to Satan there in the Garden of Eden, you're done for. The seed of the woman will crush your head. This is not, this, this universe, beloved, this universe is not an accident. It is the consequence of the divine, creative purpose and will of Almighty God. That should give us hope. Because God is big enough and strong enough and wise enough, in fact, even more than enough, to be able to use the, the purposes of evil for his ultimate good purpose. You remember Joseph? His brothers sold him into slavery. They hated Joseph. They wanted at first to kill him. But then they decided, well, let's not kill him and bring guilt on ourselves. Let's just sell him. There's a group of Ishmaelites over there. Let's sell him to, him, to them. And then he's out of our hair and our hands are clean. Well, that was wrong thinking, but they, they did it because they hated him. And you know the story, don't you, of Joseph who eventually rises to power in Egypt. It's kind of a roller coaster ride, but he rises to power in Egypt and God uses Joseph not only to save the Egyptian people from starvation, but to save his own family. And the curious thing is the brothers come down to Egypt and twice... 
they bow down, they get on their faces before Joseph and plead for their lives. And Joseph says to them, there at the end of the book of Genesis, he says, you meant it for evil. And they surely did. They had nothing but evil and hatred in their hearts for their brother. You meant it for evil, but... <laughs> you ought to circle that. But. God meant it. Ooh. You mean God orchestrated that thing? You mean God was, was working that thing out and, and, and He let those brothers do all that and, and kind of gave that tacit approval of getting him down into Egypt? Yeah. God meant it for good. This world, beloved, is set against God and evil stuff happens all the time. But Christmas and Easter are God's answer to evil. People will sometimes ask, why you know, if there's a good God, why isn't He doing anything about evil? He already has. It's working out. And in the working out of it, He's giving people an opportunity to repent. So don't lose that opportunity. Notice what He says about His name. Verse 21, You shall call His name Jesus. In verse 23, they shall call his name Emmanuel. We have Emmanuel translated for us, don't we? God with us. What does Jesus mean? Well, it comes from the Hebrew word yasha, which means to save. To save. Really? Yeah. The name Jesus, Jesus in Spanish, Joshua, sometimes it appears in English. It comes from the Hebrew word which means to save. And so whenever Mary was out calling Jesus to come home for lunch, she was saying, God saves! God saves! Time for lunch! <laughs> That's what the name means. God saves. Christ was born to save, beloved. That's why we celebrate Christmas. That's why we come together and we do all these kind of special things because we're celebrating and calling attention to God coming into this world incarnate in the flesh for the purpose of bringing salvation. That's why the angels could say, as we heard in our children's Christmas program this morning, peace on earth, good will toward men. It's God's goodwill toward us in providing a Savior. We can have peace on this earth right now. You can have peace with your Creator. You can confess your sin and ask Jesus Christ to forgive you and to make you a child of God. And when you do so, you have peace with God. He cleanses and forgives and that conscience now is clear. And you don't have that sort of nameless dread and fear that so many people have today.
Because you know Christ is your Savior. That's why He came. He came to be with us, and He came to save us. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? If you do, you've got lots of reasons to rejoice. You can be excited about this Christmas season. You can even be excited about this world in which we live because you know that Jesus Christ is coming back. But if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior today, you don't have to keep going in that condition. You can put your trust in Him now. He is God with us. He is the God-sent Deliverer. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the one who came, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, rose from the dead, so that if you put your trust in Him, you too will have everlasting life. You won't be in Adam anymore. Now you will be in Christ. Today's the day. Don't put that off. Call to Him now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You so much for the Lord Jesus Christ who was born to save. We don't understand all of that. Father and Son and Holy Spirit, the, the Trinity and how Jesus could leave heaven and take on human form. We don't understand all of that, Father, but we see it clearly taught in Your Word. You're not lying to us. You're telling us the truth. It's the truth that sets us free. It was the truth that quieted the fears of Joseph. It was the truth that enabled Joseph to maintain his righteousness and at the same time exhibit mercy and grace. Father, it's Your truth that reveals to us how You, through the death of Jesus Christ, can maintain Your holiness and righteousness in dealing with sin because He became sin for us. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf, took our punishment so that we might go free. We can enjoy Your mercy and Your grace. What a great substitute, Father. What a great exchange. Father, I pray that if there's someone here today that needs to make that exchange of their sinful life for Your forgiveness through Christ, I pray that they'll do it call out to you thank you father for your goodness for your mercy thank you for this great salvation and we pray these things in jesus name amen